Thank you, Dr. Kofer. Thank you so very much. Love that old song. Done so well. And thank you, Caden, for the reading of Scripture. So well done. Thank you. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the 24th chapter of Luke's Gospel? In just a moment, we will read that text as well. What a privilege and honor for me to be here this morning to preach at chapel at Southwestern Seminary. Wow, this is a great honor. Thank you, Dr. Patterson, Mrs. Patterson, um, for all who've had a part in bringing our small group here. Brother Ken Osborne and I, we're just, again, greatly honored to be in partnership with the seminary and the group we represent, the people, the members of the Cayman Islands Baptist Church who are just deeply touched by what's happening here. Thank you to our champion church. Thank you, Chris and Peggy, for what you do in believing in us. You've been there. Uh, We want you to come back and, and see what God is up to. And what an exciting challenge is before us. And I say us because we're moving forward together for the cause of Christ in the Caribbean. Um, It is a challenge. I I, I could really take this whole time, and I'm not, to tell you about the work there and what's before us and what we look forward to, to do in bringing theological education, training of church leaders, not just in the Cayman Islands, but using that as the hub into the rest of the Caribbean, particularly some of those areas that you've read about recently and heard about on the news. And of course, I share, I know you do, the concern for brothers and sisters, even the whole of the population of the Caribbean countries and territories. In fact, from Barbuda to Tortola, St. Thomas, St. Croix, St. John, Anguilla, and Antigua, St. Martin, St. Kitts, and Nevis, and last night, yesterday, uh, Dominica, Martinique, Guadalupe, Puerto Rico right now, the Dominican Republic, Haiti, Cuba, the Bahamas. Do you hear me? I'm I'm saying that with an emphasis. It just goes on and on. Uh, We should be about much prayer for these groups of peoples, our churches in those areas in the aftermath of Irma in the face of the present storm Maria. Of course, we've been praying for you in Texas for this uh, follow-up to the disaster with Harvey. Caribbean Baptists are responding. I was on the phone this morning. Reverend Everton Jackson, the Caribbean Baptist Fellowship Executive Secretary, uh, we're responding in solidarity with our member bodies to bring help this time of of truly great need. And of course, there's so much concern in the world today, but we wake this morning to hear about the devastating earthquake there in Mexico, the second one now in a few weeks. So in this whole region of the world, there's great angst. We should be praying. But I want to say, as I shift in this message, I'm taken. This is my third visit here in just a a little less than a year. I came with uh, our brother George McCarthy last October. I'm taken by the beauty of your campus and the gracious welcome every time we come. This is a sense of the presence of the Lord here. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Come on, students. I, I, I really am. But I would say I'm even more moved. I know I'm new here. I'm a New Orleans guy. Thank you for letting me come. (laughs) But I'm more moved as I walk about campus and I I see the bannered slogans over and over. We took a walk again yesterday afternoon, Brother Ken, and we see that phrase, preach the word, reach the world. Preach the word, reach the world. I've heard it in different forms through all of my ministry life, but it just... It zeroes in on what we're about, is it not? 
does it not? Preach the word, reach the world. And every generation of believers, I'm starting to come to the end of my generation, but every generation, every new group of students, we're all called, just like those first disciples were, to do the same thing, to preach the word and reach the world. And those disciples of that first church, they did, and they turned the world upside down. It's our turn, and it's happening now. And in some ways, the paper's sign represents an attempt by a small group of people in a small place, a little island, to preach the word and reach the world as you share with us in a partnership. And we, we will, by God's grace. I want you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 24, I, I will actually refer, you, you that know the text know that Acts 1 is the continuation by Luke, but I, I'll focus the reading on Luke 24. We'll pick it up with verse 36, the ending of the gospel account. While they were still talking about this, the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. I'm not sure if that's the food of heaven, Mr. President, but I guess if you like fish, that'll be all right. He took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And when he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Thank you. You may be seated. May God bless the second reading of his word. These are the final words of Jesus. Some of the final words of Jesus that Luke records for us. Words just before the ascension. Important words. For the disciples then and for us today. In the sense that these last words of Jesus were bridging into all that was before the disciples. As they faced the future. Uh, according to the call of God to preach the word and reach the world. And equally important to us today as we face the days before us. For, for you beyond seminary or the churches you serve. In particular to this case this morning, we're facing a future of launching a seminary, somewhat daunting, to preach the word and reach the world. All that we do as Christians 
is a part of that grand, great calling, the commission of our Lord. And as we prepare to do that very thing, I believe it's important to hear these words of Jesus. What he said to those disciples in preparation for the what's next, I believe he says to us today. Here they are in the the gathered area, perhaps that upper room, huddled and afraid, the disciples. And then suddenly, the living Lord stood in their presence. Just for a moment, imagine that. The cross and the resurrection are now undeniable. They'd heard about it, no question now. And now they hear Jesus speak some of these final life-giving words. And as he spoke, he prepared them. You see, everyone, I believe Jesus knew what was ahead. They didn't. He did. Jesus knew that in a few short years, one by one, that they'd be killed. They didn't know that. Jesus knew that John would survive it all to become an old man and die in exile on Patmos. I mean, the future in terms of the flesh part of it wasn't very bright. But Jesus knew the future is very bright, bright as, they, we, as we've heard the promises of God. But Jesus prepared his disciples with these words for what was ahead, that they might be faithful to the call of God. As we start this new venture with theological education in the Caribbean, and as many of you move out from here to the call of God in your life, we need to hear these words. What did he say? Well, he said, first of all, Peace, don't be afraid. While they were still standing, talking about this, Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you. I love that next line. They were startled and frightened, wouldn't you be? Thinking they saw a ghost. Oh, there he is, it's Jesus. They've been talking about him, but now there he is. And he said, why are, why are you troubled? Does that remind you of something? John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Afraid, talking about death. Now they're seeing this dead man alive. Don't be troubled. Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look, it's me. It's I myself. Touch me. See, ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And there is Jesus who is himself our peace standing in their midst in this huddled group of fearful followers of Jesus. And he says, peace. In other words, everybody, he says, it's okay. It's okay. It's me. I'm alive. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid. And actually, I think that is the summation of this word peace. Don't be afraid. If we would preach the word and reach the world, we have to do so without fear. No fear. We have to believe that he who is peace is our peace and he is with us. He said, don't be afraid. Why did Jesus say peace? Don't be afraid. Well, because they were afraid. They were startled, frightened. They were afraid at the cross. You remember, they stood at a distance. He knew in their future they'd be paralyzed with fear in the face of a lost world. And many of us today struggle with fear. I could get into my personal testimony about the fear of even speaking like I'm doing today. It's quite amazing when I see from whence he's brought me. But the reality is we struggle with fear. They were afraid. Remember in John's gospel, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, John 14, 27. I do not give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Someone has said the reason why you often find the phrase don't be afraid in the scriptures is because we're often afraid 
I haven't counted it, but I read somebody who said there's 365 times that the Bible records the phrase, don't be afraid. Some of you guys help me out later with that one. One for every day of the year, Jesus says, peace, don't be afraid. And what he says to these disciples, I believe, is simply this, don't be afraid of me. Because that's actually what was going on. He stood in their midst and oh, they were afraid. He said, don't be afraid of me. And for a moment they were, some of you are. And as I take it up to the application today, some of you are afraid of Jesus, what he might do in your life if you were to be alone and confess that. Yes, Pastor, I'm a little nervous about where he might lead me. Don't be. He loves you. And Jesus calls us to himself that we might know him and experience his peace. But also don't be afraid of death. They had been. But now the resurrected Lord stood before them. I mean, what else? What, what's the great fear that mankind has? It's death. It's death. I have a friend who takes tour groups to the Holy Land. He's a Messianic Jew, and he once had an Arab guide say, Marty, aren't you Christians afraid of being over here? He was doing one of the intifadas, and Marty said, what do we have to be afraid of, heaven? <laughs> we have a living Lord. We don't have to be afraid of death, and we don't have to be afraid of life. Life as followers of Jesus is meant to be an adventure in faith. As Jesus stood with them, can you imagine what they're starting to think? Whoa, we have a resurrection here. We have our living Lord. He's everything he ever said he was. And now we are with him. What an adventure this will be. And we should live all out and all in for Jesus. Fear has no place in our lives. I heard about the retired, I've got to use a Texas story. I heard about the retired Texas pastor. It was his 102nd birthday. He preached, as I understood it, on his 100th. But on his 102nd birthday, he was asked by a younger pastor, Brother Jones, how do you get to be a 102? And the elderly pastor shot back, well, Sonny, when you get to be 99, you have to start being careful. <laughs> we have to live all out. We, we can't be reticent or holding back, and there can't be a spirit of timidity. And with the living Lord in our presence, he says, peace, don't be afraid. Move forward. Last week, Good friends of mine were on the island, uh, Mike, Emily, and Lambert visiting, and we had dinner. And, and Mike and Emily are from a church, Kings Mountain, North Carolina, that's got a partnership in Liberia. And they were just over there a couple of months ago. And Mike was telling me that when they, when they got to the area where the, the, the church and the school is, uh, he saw their dear pastor. And I didn't quite get his name. I tried to get Mike to send me that name. I hadn't heard back from him. But, but I'm going to just use Pastor Lua. It was something like that. But, but he said, Pastor Luo, and he hugged him, gave him a big bear hug, North Carolina hug. And as he backed up, Mike backed up, Mike said, he said, Pastor Luo, are you still preaching the word? Oh, Luo, a little short fellow, he backs up, puts his arms down, he said, preaching the word, I'll preach the word to the day I die. And now he pastored in a village, half Christian, half Muslim, and he wasn't talking about till he, die, till he would die from flu or car accident, until he's killed. I'll preach the word to the day they kill me. That is courage. That's what Jesus would give them here in this gathering before they're sent into the world. If, if we are to move forward with the peace of Jesus and the gospel to boldly proclaim it to our world, we have to trust him and walk with his courage. The psalmist said, you learned it as kids, I did. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. So don't be afraid. But the second thing he said is believe the word. 
He said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. The concern of the text is the belief by the disciples, or rather the need of the disciples to believe the word of God. They had heard the incarnate word over and over tell them, I must go to Jerusalem, suffer, be killed, and on the third day rise again. They just didn't get it, or they didn't believe it, or maybe they didn't want to hear it. So now they've heard and he's alive. In fact, the women who were at the tomb saw the Lord and then they, here it is, they remembered his words. He told them, but they weren't getting it. But the disciples, when they heard the story from the women, we could get into all that, they thought it was a bunch of nonsense. They still didn't believe the word. So that's why Jesus takes a moment here, ladies and gentlemen, to make sure you understand that all that's happened I told you about in the scriptures, which means the scriptures are true. They're authoritative. You need to believe God's word and hold on to your Bibles if you're going to move forward. The living Lord speaks to us today and he calls us to the same. We have to trust the word, everybody. You got to believe it. In a day of shifting sands and every wind of doctrine, in a time of competing ideologies and coming cultural shifts, I, I live in a place We've got people from all over the world on that little island. 65,000 people, I think 20, last count, 24,700 on work permits. That's not counting all the ones who come from other nations who've become residents there. I have 30, as of last Sunday, 34 countries in our congregation. I'm I'm pastoring, you, you could think in this remote island somewhere, but I'm pastoring where the crossroads of the world take place. And you do hear all these beliefs. It's quite the challenge. I love it because I have something to stand on and you do too. You see, Jesus gave the disciples a new Bible. He, and that's in quotes for me. He, he took the only Bible they had, the Old Testament to us, and he opened their eyes to see that everything was true and it all pointed to him. He prayed for them in John 17. For them, he prays for us, sanctify them, set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. If it's not true, If it's not authoritative, if it's not sufficient, we're not set apart. How are we set apart on our mission? By the word of God. Now, they struggled with the word. They did. But Jesus, at first he gave them a physical demonstration. Hey, I'm alive. Whoa. He said, but now I want to show you in the scriptures this was all told about. And he took them into the word of God. Some of you remember this summer. It was a, a, a tragic story. Happened in my home state, though the soldiers were from all over, but a Sergeant Joe Murray, a second Marine Raider Battalion, an elite special operations force from Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, was killed with other soldiers in an airplane crash. Uh, Mississippi Delta, uh, uh, KC-130 went down on July 10th. It was a real tragic story. But one of those soldiers, Sergeant Murray, at least, there may have been others, was a soldier of the cross. He was known for his contagious faith, but his love for God's word. And this is what he did. He just did it all the time. He gave away Bibles. But as opposed to just standing on a corner and passing out Bibles, he, he personally gave Bibles and he took the time in each Bible to write a note, handwritten. 
He'd been doing it for a long time. The notes that he would write were basically this note. This book is the very answer to life itself. You want God to speak to you? Read this book. What will you do to spread God's word? I pray that God works in you and through you and that you draw closer to him. Let him work in you and he will change your life forever. I pray that Jesus becomes the focus of your life. I pray that you surrender all to him. Peace be with you and Jesus protect you, your humble servant in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Sergeant Joe Murray. Most of us have struggled taking that time to write, wouldn't we? But that's what he wrote in every Bible. He loved God's word and he stood for it to the day he died. Have you heard the name of Rosario Butterfield? She's a former professor of English at Syracuse University. Brilliant lady. She's a mother of three, a wife, uh, homeschools her kids, um, but she formerly was a professor of English. She's also had lived before she came to Christ as a lesbian. She signed that document two weeks ago. Some of you have heard about it, the Nashville Statement. I read a response she wrote on August 31st, and it was right as I'm trying to grapple with somebody, a friend of mine from my past that had written a derogatory note about Christians signing that statement. And I'm thinking about how I'm going to answer my friend when I get this word from her. Her article was why I signed the Nashville Statement. Listen, listen to what she said, because I was making my own little meager argument. It's not about homosexuality. This is what she said after her little opening. The issue is not primarily homosexuality. It's scripture. The issue is not gay marriage. It's whether the word of God is living and active. The issue is whether we all bear the sin of Adam, inheriting an unchosen moral deformity, an energy of opposition to God, a rebellion that bequeaths to us a sin nature that we can't erase on our own terms and by our own hands. The issue is whether Jesus rose from the grave, is alive today, and whether his blood and love and resurrection makes any whit of difference in how you fight the original sin that distorts you, the actual sin that distracts you, and the indwelling sin that manipulates you. Forgive me for preaching her text. She said the issue is whether you can trust the Bible to tell you who you are, who God is, and which way is up. Conversion to Christ did not initially change my sexual attraction for women. What conversion did change immediately was my heart and mind. My mind was on fire for the Bible, and I could not read enough of it or enough about it. The gospel gave me a light that was ruinous. And that, don't you like that one? It ruined me. The gospel destroyed me. The, the Lord's light illumined my sin through the law and illumined my hope through Jesus and the gospel. The gospel destroyed me for, before the Lord built me back up in saying yes to Jesus and no to the desires of my, my flesh. I learned that the only way to peace with my God was through the cross. The one that Jesus died on, the one that I was called with the help of Jesus to carry. Isn't that amazing? It's all about the word. We got to stand today on the word, believe it. We got to hold on to our words, everybody. We need a generation. You're here. A generation of believers who'll stand like Pastor Lou and Lloyd Liberia, Sergeant Joe Murray, and Rosaria Butterfield, trusting the Word of God and boldly proclaiming it. You remember that little scene from uh, Narnia, if you've seen the movie, but C.S. Lewis classic? 
Remember Philip, the older brother? They're on a block of ice, escaping from these ferocious wolves, all allegorical. And he takes the sword and he plunges it into the ice block and he tells his brother and two sisters, hold on. As they went through the raging rivers, river and came out later. We've got to plunge the word of God deeply and anchor ourselves firmly in the word and stay with it in the days ahead. Don't be afraid. Believe the word and hold on. Let me quickly say, he said something else. He said, don't do anything without me. As I move this forward with this partnership, I, I think about, are you crazy, Randy? We're trying to start a seminary with all these islands and I'm not even a Caribbean guy. Everton says, oh, Randy, you're one of us. Well, I am, but I, I talk differently. I've been down there a while, but it's, it's, it's daunting. I used that word earlier. How are we going to do this? How are you going to do what God's called you to do? It's not any different because everything he calls us to do is impossible without him. Well, we don't do anything without him. We wait on the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to send you what the Father's promised. You stay put. Stay in the city until you've been clothed. Because I'm telling you, if a resurrection Lord, Jesus alive, is in front of me, he says, Randy, go into all the world. I'm going to say, I, I, I'm gone. Here, I'm going to do it. Because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a joiner. I'll just do it. But, but he said, no, no, no. You, you wait. Don't do it. You wait here. And Acts 1 is so clear. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Spirit. You will receive power. And they did. They waited and they did receive the power. And they turned their world upside down. Jesus clearly taught, without me, you can do nothing. That's an easy statement to memorize. The longer I'm living, the more I realize it's true. I can't do anything without him that has any eternal significance. In fact, I can't even breathe without him. But you say, but, but, but pastor, the Pentecost has already come. We received the Holy Spirit when Jesus saved us. He came to live in us. Absolutely. So what's the application? Wait on him. Don't do anything without him. Depend on the Holy Spirit who is within you. Be filled with the Spirit of God. That means let him be in control of your life. Wait on him. Know what he's called you to do. Hear him. But when you know what he's called you to do, it's pretty plain. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. That when you do what he tells you to do, he says, I'm with you always. He's with us in power. God saved us and called us to be witnesses. But we must do it in the power of Holy Spirit. I actually need to pull that point out. And one day I'll preach another sermon on the Holy Spirit. But... This morning, let me close with this one. Now, it's going to come over a little odd to you. Stay with me. The last thing he said, don't be afraid. Believe the word. Hold on to it. Don't do anything without me. The fourth thing he said is keep, keep your chin up. Now, now, I'm from Mississippi. I realize there's a diverse crowd here from all over the world. In my understanding of that idiom, it means... Um, Keep looking up. Stay, stay focused. Don't get discouraged, disheartened. Do you know what keep your chin up means? <laughs> but, but let me take it to see what he said. Because you say, Pastor, there's nothing in here about a chin. Well, well, look what follows. He said, repentance, verse 50, 
for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. It will be preached to all nations. What a positive, powerful statement. Then he said, you are witnesses. Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany. He lifted his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessed them, he beamed up. I think sometimes we, we make the scriptures too stained glass. No offense to your beautiful windows. But we get so caught up in religion and the proper way. Listen, this guys were out there in the vicinity of Bethany and Jesus just goes up in the air. Oh, oh, oh. John, look, it would have been an amazing moment about like it was in the room when they saw him alive. Oh, there was one while, then there was another while. Oh. And while they're standing there, and by the way, you can't obey object lesson. Look up, look up and say, wow, wow. Where's your jaw? It's down. But actually, your chin's up. So it's a play on words here. Keep your chin up. When Jesus went up into heaven, the angel said it. Jesus, it wasn't his last word. Jesus spoke without speaking when he went up. The angel said, you, you men and went up of Galilee. Why are you looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who's been taken is coming back. Three things happened in the very final words of Jesus. And I close with these words that I believe gave the final encouragement to move forward into a lost world. And so we must hear them. Let me tell you a personal story. <clears throat> I hadn't told this in a long time. I, we suffered a tragedy many, many years ago now, 16 years ago. Our 18-year-old son Landon was killed in a car accident. He was a student at LSU, freshman. He was on his way back to... Uh, school from fall break. So it, it happened about, uh, it'll be an anniversary here in three weeks. It, he, he was heading back to fall break. I was going to catch, I was driving up to Gatlinburg. We were in Tupelo, Mississippi, and uh, I'm preaching at a singles conference. So that morning, he's going back to fall break. I, I'm heading up to do a weekend conference. We had a morning we spent together. Changed the oil in his car. We went to lunch. We had a great time. Well, after lunch, we, we kind of at the house. He's doing a little packing. I'm doing some packing. And I keep saying, Landon, I got to go. It's going to be midnight before I get to Gallimer. And um, we just keep talking. Finally, I'm outside. I put the suitcase in the car. He's standing there and he says, now for an 18-year-old to say something like this, it just rattled me. He said, Daddy, you know you're supposed to be a pastor preacher. Because I was serving a mission agency at the time. I was traveling many places in the world. I'd preach some interims occasionally. But, and he wasn't putting down being a missions head, if you're a missions agency head or seminary professor. But he said, Daddy, you're calling of God's to be a pastor preacher. And I said, whoa, well, it caught me off guard. I said, well, Landon, I, I, I'm pastoring these missionaries and I'm, I'm, I still preach. He said, it's not the same, Daddy. God called you to preach. So I'm flustered. So I, I'm, I'm there at the car. I get in, sit down, and I said, God's working on this landing. I backed out and head down the street. And then it hit me. Oh, I turned around and went back. He's backing out with his car. I come up beside him. Windows go down. He says, what'd you forget, Daddy? I said, I love you. He said, I love you. Window went up. He goes, I go, he heads south, I head north. 
And I, I don't exaggerate this. At midnight, I was putting my key in the door at the retreat center when that old cell phone 16 years ago rang and my wife said, Landon's been killed. I'm going to tell you, what happened in that moment, I went down, but I looked up. I'm telling you, I think I always looked up, but I've been looking up like I have never looked up before for 16 years, longing for the day of the return of Jesus, longing for the day to experience the new heaven and the new earth. I tell you, he's got a new passion in my soul. And I say all that to say this, that so parallels what happened here. Jesus, first of all, said, you're called. If you want to keep your chin up and stay encouraged when all hell breaks out against you, just remember what your calling is. You're called to preach the word and reach the world, no matter what, to the day you die. That'll keep your chin up. You're calling, whatever it is, to teach, preach, to serve, whatever the area of ministry is a call of God that ultimately is to share the gospel. Secondly, I, you know, I don't know what happened here. You Hebrew uh, New Testament, uh, Greek New Testament guys and Hebrew Old Testament guys can help me. But all we know, the last words were, bless you. Well, he blessed them. Um, maybe Jesus quoted from uh, number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Maybe that's what he did. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I don't know. Again, if I, if I, if I get a little more into the reality of the moment, maybe Jesus said, guys, ladies, I love you. May my Father bless you with every spiritual blessing. May he give you everything you need. You are blessed. I don't know what he said, but the scripture says he blessed them. You know what? When you know you're blessed, you can keep going, can't you? We're always blessed. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We have everything we need. I am loved of God greatly blessed beyond measure. That keeps me going. And then thirdly, yes. He promised he's coming back. You know, the way I, if I read the New Testament into the letters, the Acts and the letters, what you find, they're always looking forward to the return of Jesus. And I think I'm a busy pastor. I think sometimes we get busy. We don't think about it. Now, by the way, he's, I don't think he's coming Saturday, the 23rd of September. Uh, I don't know when Jesus is coming, but here's what those New Testament believers did. They always did what they did looking up. Is this the day? Is this the day our Lord comes? There's something about that. When they faced martyrdom, when they died, when Stephen, he looked up and saw the Lord. There was that sense that Jesus is coming back. He's going to bring it all together, and it's worth it to give your life to preach the word and reach the world. God bless you as you do. Never forget the words of Jesus. Amen.